0: I want to direct your attention to a very important thought this evening. And with the Lord's help tonight, I'd like to take the next few moments and take you from the cradle to the cross. Now, for some of you that gets you worried, you say, that's a lot of of ground to cover. And I promise you tonight, I'll do it in a very careful fashion. But listen, as I do it in a careful fashion, I want to invite you tonight to listen in a careful fashion. Because I believe this evening the Lord wants to use His Word to change our lives. And so for those of you that maybe are predispositioned, you say, I really like music, but I don't like preaching. If that's you this evening, I'm going to ask you to bypass your bias for about the next 20 minutes. And the reason being is just as you've heard music about Jesus, it's important for you to hear the truth about Jesus. And so with that being said tonight, Luke chapter 2 and verse number 7. The Bible says, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. And basically, in that one verse tonight, we find an introduction to the birth of Jesus. We find Him in His first resting earthly, his earthly resting place. We find Him in a manger, or if I could use the term cradle tonight. In the day in which we live, it's amazing to me, even in my lifetime, to see how the announcements and the anticipations of births have intensified. Now, I'll admit, as a male, uh, I don't quite treat it the same as a female. I was excited that I was having children, but, but women just have a way. They have a way, the glow and excitement about them, knowing that uh, that child is going to be born. Now, I know what some of you ladies are thinking tonight. You're like, that glow disappears at about nine months, you know. <laughs> at that point, it's just like we're ready to get this over with. But you know, for ladies, you're acquainted with baby registries. They have baby showers. Men, why don't we have showers? Why don't we have showers by ourselves? Chainsaws and four-wheelers and boats... But for ladies, they'll attend baby showers. They have registries where you go to places like Target and Walmart and here's all the things that the child needs. And, you know, even today they have these, this is a new phenomenon, but they call them gender reveal parties. And uh, in a day in which there's a lot of gender confusion, I'm glad they have gender reveal parties. And in those gender reveal parties, I've seen some that were great ideas and I shook my head at others and said, that was not a great idea. It did not go as planned. But you know, it seems like in recent days when there's an anticipation of a birth, there's a growing excitement. There are parties that are had. There's gifts and showers to be given. But I want you to know that there has never been a birth that has ever taken place that was announced like that of Jesus. You know, for most ladies, they don't start announcing the birth until about nine months and then some. And then at nine months, the clock ticks, and over the next nine months, we're letting people know that that baby is being born. But do you know, ladies and gentlemen, that the Old Testament is a birth announcement? I'm talking about something that was not anticipated for nine months, but it was anticipated for thousands of years. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, perhaps the very first instance that we find the foreshadowing of the arriving of Jesus, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And then beyond the dawn of creation, we're ushered into the era of Abraham. And we find that a son of Abraham is to be prophesied and that through that offspring that Abraham would be blessed. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 16 sheds light on this as a New Testament passage. It says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto to seeds as of many, but as of one and to thy seed which is Christ. And so we journey beyond the dawn of creation, we see the era of Abraham, and even in the midst of King David, the greatest king that Israel had ever known, we find that it was through the offspring of David that the Messiah would come, and we see this clearly identified in roman or excuse me revelation twenty two in verse sixteen when it says, "I Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches." I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. We journey farther and Isaiah tells us that the Messiah will be born from a virgin. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 7 and verse 14, Therefore the Lord shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And as if that weren't enough, Micah continues in Micah 5 and verse 2, and he says, But thou, Bethlehem, Epaphrata, though thou be among, little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forths have been from old, from everlasting. Can I tell you tonight, the Old Testament is a continual birth announcement for what we find taking place in Matthew and Luke. And it's during this time of the year that we celebrate the Christ of the cradle. But listen to me, we've got to see Him from the cross, or excuse me, from the cradle to the cross. And I want to highlight those differences to you tonight. One of the gravest mistakes you'll do is to celebrate a Christ of a manger and neglect the Christ of the cross. Because when you neglect the Christ on Calvary, you miss the entire reason that Jesus came. Jesus Himself said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so my prayer is, as you see the message tonight, the next time you see Christ in a cradle, that you'll be reminded of Christ on the cross. Let me share with you five things very quickly tonight. Number one is this, in the cradle Christ was adored, but on the cross He was despised. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11, And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped Him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto Him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now here we're talking about the wise men that are depicted in Matthew chapter 2. I believe the time frames a little bit differently than Luke chapter 1. But nevertheless, it all takes place within the infancy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when these men who are of great wisdom and great stature come before Jesus, listen to me, they humble themselves and they adore that child. These wise men weren't common ordinary folk like us. Now some of you are like, well, are you saying that we don't have any brains? I'm not saying you don't have any brains, but I'm telling you, put all of us together and we probably didn't have the money that they had. These men were affluent, they were rich, and they were well learned, and yet they looked at this child and they adored Him. They realized that there was something special about Him. But ladies and gentlemen, that would change more than 30 years later. You know, when you look at a child, you look at any child. For us, we look at a child, we adore that child. That's why I believe as a preacher in nurseries. You know why I believe in nurseries and churches? Because there's not a six-month-old that I can beat when it comes to keeping attention. You say, well, you're just jealous. No, I'm not jealous. I was six months old myself at one time and probably did my share of grabbing the show. But everybody looks at a child, you look at innocence there, and you see a child, you see hope. Well, here they see Jesus and they adore Him, but listen to me, when He hung on the cross, there was no adoration. The Bible tells us in perhaps one of the most vivid depictions of the crucifixion in the Old Testament, it says in Isaiah 53 that He was despised and rejected of men. It's amazing how much can change in 30 years' time. From the cradle to the cross. When they said, here's gold and frankincense and myrrh, and they bowed and they worshipped Him, to now they're screaming, crucify Him, crucify Him. We have no king but Caesar. If Thou be the Son of God, save Thyself. And yet Jesus hung on the cross, enduring the shame, dying for you and dying for me. My friend, if you see the manger tonight, but you can't see the cross, you have an incomplete picture. In the cradle He was adored, but on the cross He was despised, number two. In the cradle He caused His mom to glow. But on the cross, He caused her to grieve. I remember when our first child was born, it was perhaps the most traumatic of the three births. I won't lay that to His charge, but wasn't an unusually large child. That sometimes causes problems. But you know, it's amazing to me. A woman can go through 12 hours of labor... And look like she has been taken 400 miles and back on foot. And be to the point of physical exhaustion and beyond that. And we wouldn't dare take pictures of our wives in that condition. But it's amazing to me when the baby is handed to them how all of that agony disappears. We had our nativity scene out here the just the other night at our Lattimore Town uh, Christmas lighting. I was very proud of our students for what they did, especially the two shepherds. They were really something else. But in the last particular scene, uh, we had Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus, and we had a choir that was singing to the side of them. And the guide in the script was supposed to say, Well, Mary, how are you feeling? And Mary replied, How would you feel if you had to ride on a donkey all this time and you get to the hotel for them to tell you there's no room? But we are glad to have a little place over our heads. But you know, all of that, all of that labor, and then finally, just like with any mother, Mary holds that baby that child with great promise, and even just as a mother set aside the fact that Jesus, being a special baby, the Son of God, a mother's love, a mother's embrace, how a mother's heart must glow. But 30 years later, that woman would experience something that no mother would ever want to experience. And that's watching your child die in agonizing, Painful death when he's totally innocent. I believe that Simeon, whenever he was talking to Joseph and Mary early on and after the birth of Christ... And he came and he said, now I can can die. I've seen the salvation of the Lord. But in his departing words, Simeon said to Mary, he said, a sword shall go through thine own soul also. And I believe that was God's way of pointing to Mary and saying, Mary, there's coming a day that your heart will be ripped apart. It's amazing what can change in 30 years. You know, my sadness, sadness arises in my heart when I see many people. They look at a manger and they look with adoration, but yet they don't understand that what happened on that cross, how His mother's heart was broken, and that Jesus died on the cross for you and for me, and our hearts ought to be grieved in some sense because we helped nail Him there. Because He died for your sin and mine. When you look at the cradle, I hope that you'll see the cross. He was adored, yet He was, as, as he was despised. He, was, he caused His mom to glow, but yet He caused her to grieve. Number three, in the cradle, His name brought hope. But on the cross, His name was mocked. You know, choosing children's names, that's, that's a difficult thing to do sometimes. Our first child was born. We said, well, we're not going to know the gender. And we thought there was something great about that. But I'll assure you, next two, next two times we knew the gender. It was cute the first time, but we didn't guess. We didn't know the gender. But the only problem was is we could only come up with a boy's name. Honestly, if we'd had a girl, if Karis, our third, had been first, she'd have been Miss X for about, about five hours. Mary and Joseph, they don't have this problem. Why? Because the name's chosen. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Listen to me. If you want Christmas in a nutshell, there it is. God said, for some of you that have a hard time putting two and two together, I'll just put it all in one verse. His name is Jesus and He'll save His people from His sins. And when that name was given, listen, although it may not have been totally understood, but all that heard and all that were there, listen, there was hope. Hey, aren't you glad that in the birth of Jesus we find that there can be forgiveness? You know, the longer you live, the more you accumulate—not just materially, but in the wickedness of this life. And the more we live, and the longer accounts, and the bigger our accounts come before God, we say, "Lord, you need to wipe all of this away." Listen to me. There is only one way that your slate can be wiped clean, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. My friend, I want to ask you this evening, does the name of Jesus bring you hope? You know, for some people, just the other day I heard as a word of exclamation, it grieved my heart when I heard it, but I heard the name of Jesus, not used in adoration, but used in exclamation. And you know what I'm finding? I'm finding with the Hollywood crowd, they're doing that more and more, and the more they do it, the more uncomfortable Christians ought to feel. But what does that name bring you? When you hear that name, what rises in your heart? If you're here this evening and you're like, Christmas is just any other holiday. Or you say, okay, it's another time of year. But you've never realized the significance of Jesus. Listen, in His name and in that announcement, it tells us that we can have forgiveness. It gives us hope. But when His name was mentioned at the cross... Matthew 27 and verse 37. <coughs> and set up over his head this accusation written, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. At His birth, here is one who offers forgiveness. At His death, those who would kill Him would write, This is Jesus King of the Jews, and you say He was King of the Jews, but that was written in derision. That was not written in sincerity. It inflamed all who read it. Had He been the King of the Jews in a real sense, He would have never been nailed to the cross. And as a matter of fact, some said, take that sign down. And Pilate says, nope, we're going to leave it up there. What does the name of Jesus bring to you? Listen to me. Every time you hear the word Jesus over the Christmas holiday, it ought to scream forgiveness. It ought to scream hope. But my friend, if you've never seen the cross, it's just another name. I want you to see as well tonight that in the cradle He was innocent. But on the cross He was pronounced guilty. You know, babies look innocent, don't they? Until they want something. They have a way of letting you know, don't they? It's not an unpleasant way, or not a pleasant way, rather. You know, God didn't make babies with developed vocal cords and great linguistic skills. Babies look innocent until they need to be changed. Until they need to be fed. And then we lose our innocence sometimes because we lose our patience. But you know, when that baby was born, a lot of people would say today, they would say, oh, look at that baby. That baby looks so innocent. And while that baby may look innocent, you know the Bible tells us that we're born from the womb speaking lies. So that innocence isn't what it's all cut out to be. When we look at a baby and say, oh, that baby looks so innocent. But I'll tell you, there's never been a baby as innocent as Jesus. That infant would grow up, never disobey mom and dad. That baby would grow up and keep the law in every aspect. That baby would grow up and be perfect. But 30 years later, that baby that's grown into a young man is nailed to a cross, falsely accused, and while he's innocent, the Bible tells it this way in Second Corinthians 5 and verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. They saw him in the cradle... As innocent and maybe even harmless, but on the cross he's pronounced guilty. Why was, why did he take on your sin and why did he take on mine? I'll tell you why because we could not help ourselves. The Bible says, For as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so that death is passed upon all men. Why? For all have sinned. Listen, from that day in the garden, Adam knew spiritual and physical death, and so do we. When we're born, our physical clock is ticking, our date of death is approaching. But not only will we physically die, but we were all born spiritually dead. And there's only one way for us to be given life, and that is He who is the way, the truth, and the life to die in my place and be made sin for me that if I would simply come to Him in saving faith for God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He became sin for me, that I might have my sins washed away. But there are many people today, they know about Christmas gifts, they know about Santa Claus, they know about reindeer, but they know nothing of forgiveness that can only be given in Jesus Christ. But the last thing that I want you to see is this tonight, that in the cradle, there was no room in the inn. But on the cross, there were no room in the hearts of people. Don't think ill of that innkeeper that night. Some of you might say, I don't understand how that man could put that woman out there in those harsh conditions. The man had no room left, but at least he did something. At least he tried to do something to afford this young couple and this child some comfort in a time that is most, uh, in a time where it's just most, you have to be most careful because, I mean, it, it's a very, very fragile situation. A woman is having birth having a child. And there's some people, they're very hard on that innkeeper. And they say, well, he should have booted somebody else out and he should have just let them sleep out there. You know, one day you can take that up with the innkeeper if you ever see him. But I'm going to tell you the greater shame is there are many people, while there was no room in an inn, there are people today, there are many people, there's no room in their hearts for Christ. not talking about going to church. You say, was that a bad thing? No, that's a good thing. But a lot of people do good things thinking that is the thing that gets them to heaven. And that's not true. You say, well, I've been baptized. Well, is that a good thing? Well, it's a good thing after you're saved to be baptized by immersion to show the world, that you, to give testimony that you're one of His. But nonetheless, people do a lot of good things. But in the end, it's not a lot of the good things that you've done. Here is the question, John chapter 1 and verse 12. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. I want to ask you tonight, has there ever been a time in your life where you made room for Him? I'm talking about when you saw that you were a sinner lost and undone before God. And not only did you see Jesus on the, in, the, in the cradle, but you saw Him on the cross. Realized that He raised again, that you might have eternal life, and you called on Him in saving faith. Some people say, well, it was just an overwhelming feeling. Some people say, something just came over me. Listen, I'm not saying that feeling isn't involved. But when I read the Bible, I see words like this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Believeth, call, born again. Those types of words. When is it that you made room in your heart for Jesus? You know, I fear that there are a lot of people that they go through this life and they celebrate a Christmas holiday, but they really don't know who Jesus is. And I would hate for that to be anybody in this room tonight. On April 21st, 1926, it was a very monumental day for a birth. You say, who was born that day? Queen Elizabeth II. Have you watched any news the last six months? This lady who was the Queen of England for so many decades, perhaps the longest monarch that England has ever known. If not, it's got to be close to the longest reign. But the Queen of England, her birth came and her, her life would sustain over those decades in which she would serve as the figurehead of the nation of England. But I heard a story that was related by one of her security detail that I'll never forget. The security detail was giving this particular interview and it was before her death. It was years before her death and a news anchor asked if he had any particular good stories about the Queen. And he said, I do have one. He said, sometimes when the queen would be at Balmoral, the Scotland estate, uh, we would happen to go off, she would want to take a picnic, and it would be the two of us, and we would go, and we would take our walk. And he said, on one particular day, we were taking our walk, we had our picnic, and as we were making our way back to the castle, we came across two Americans. And he said, as the queen was wont to do, she was talking to these two Americans, asked them where they were from, asked them a little bit about their lives. And those two Americans were totally unaware of who they were talking to. And after the queen had interrogated them, they asked her, they said, well, where are you from? And she said, well, I live here in England. I live over in London. And they said, really? And she said, yes, we have an estate over here. And she said, so every once in a while I come over here and vacation. But I I live in London, but I've been in these hills, I think she said, for over 70 years. And one of the Americans chimed in and they said, you've been here that long, have you ever met the Queen? And the security detail, he said, without missing a beat the queen looked at them and said, I never have met her, but he has, and pointed to her security detail. And all of a sudden, the attention of those two Americans turned from that woman to the security personnel. And they said, you've met the queen? And he said, oh yes, I've seen her quite frequently. And they said, tell us about the queen." And with a spry look, he said, sometimes she can be a little ornery, but overall she's a pretty good person. And before the man knew it, the two Americans stood by his side, handed the lady their phone, (laughs) and said, take a picture. We want everybody back home to know that we met somebody who knows the queen. And after the Queen took the pictures, the security man said, "Why don't you get a picture with her and let me take it?" And they stood beside of her, and he snapped some pictures, and off those two Americans went. And as they were walking away, the Queen of England looked at him, and he said, I, "She said, "I can't wait till they go home." and show somebody those pictures." And they're told that I was the Queen of England. (laughs) You know, it sure does make for a funny story. Two ignorant Americans had no idea of who they were talking to. But you know, in all reality, ladies and gentlemen, there's a much more sorrowful scene coming. Because I believe there'll be people that sat in pews just like this who heard a lot about Jesus, but in reality they didn't know who he was. But there'll be no laughing, they'll be weeping because their day is past. My friend, if you're here tonight, and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, my friend, look beyond the cradle and see the cross, and one day you'll be glad you did.